the children are heading downstairs and everyone's finding their seat. Um, I want to ask uh, Bobby and Jerry to come forward. They're going to hand out some sheets to you along with some pens. Today is going to look a, a little different than normal. Um, just want to be upfront with you on that. Uh, I'm not going to be so much preaching as teaching and training today. So, as they're as they're handing these out, um, I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you that's pertinent to what I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, Romans chapter one, verses sixteen and seventeen say this: For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first. And also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. As they're handing those out, um, I'm going to grab my notes here and bring them up to me. So, in the Gospel of Matthew, there's this story where, where Jesus is looking upon the crowds and Matthew communicates us, to us that Jesus had compassion upon them. He says that people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in response to what Jesus saw, he, he says this to his disciples. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Well, no sooner did he say that than he gave authority to, the, to 12 of those disciples, calling them to be his apostles. They were to be his messengers. That's what apostle means. It means messenger. Those who would go out into the world and spread the good news of the kingdom. And even though that, that incident occurred 2,000 years ago, that same challenge remains today. The harvest is still plentiful. There are, there are still people who need to hear the, the, the message of the kingdom, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And God is still calling those who claim to be his disciples to be his laborers in the harvest field. And in fact, when you look at the American landscape today, what, what you will discover is that we no longer are living in a Christianized nation. The, the majority of the people out there either don't know the gospel or they have rejected it. And so in a very real way, you, you should consider yourselves planted in a mission field. To start off the service, I read the Great Commission, the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Uh, I'm going to read that to you again. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission of the church. It has not changed. We are called to go and make disciples of all nations. And the starting point of fulfilling that mission is evangelism. By sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to, to all the lost souls that are all around us. And this is why we as a church, as, as God's people, need to become experts in sharing this message. And, and so here's what I'm going to do today. I, I, I'm trying not to preach at you, although I'm, I, I feel like I'm preaching at you right now. Um, rather, I, I want to train you. Uh, train you how to share the gospel. And here's why I'm doing this, because, because I think it is vitally, vitally important for us as disciples of Jesus Christ to be able to proclaim this message well. In fact, I, I believe this is something that everyone in the church, no matter who you are, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, doesn't matter. You should know how to do this. You see, one of the major reasons why, why so many Christians don't share the gospel with others is because they don't know how to. That's a major problem. That's unacceptable. And what did we just read in Romans 1, verse 16? Paul said, I, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. For the salvation of everyone who believes. Did you catch that? The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. In other words, the only way a person can find salvation is if this message is proclaimed to them. And if that's the case, then shouldn't we as God's church, as God's people become experts in sharing this message? <coughs> Absolutely. So here's what we're going to do. You've been given handouts, right? Hopefully everybody's got handouts, got pens. Um, in these handouts, there's, there's two sheets of paper. One is titled Gospel Questions, and the other is showing this diagram with a cross in the middle of it. I want you to pull those out, grab your pen, and follow along. And, and fill out the empty slots as I demonstrate to you a clear way to, that you can share the gospel with someone else. You guys ready? Getting there? <laughs> All right, so first thing, how do we get the conversation started? Right? How, how do you go from talking about sports or the latest movie that you watch, whatever the topic of the day is, and then move on to the topic of God. How do we do that? Here, here's what we shouldn't do. We, we shouldn't try to use some cheesy analogy trying to shoehorn Christ into the conversation. You know? Well, speaking of the Super Bowl, do you know who the true champion is? Don't, don't do that. One, you're not as clever as you think. Two, it's not going to go over well. The, the, the best way to transition is to just transition, take the risk. 
make the awkward question. Hey, do, do you mind if I ask you something personal? You know, get their permission first. And if they sh say sure, then, then you have your opening. There's no need for any cheesy segue. But what do you do after you have their permission? What I typically do is I, I, I will ask them one of these starter questions. Do you ever think about God? Do you believe in God? What are your thoughts about life after death? Or what do you think will happen to you after you die? You know, the goal is to try to get them thinking in this direction. But this is also an opportunity for us to listen as well. Right? If, for, for you to get a feel for what they truly believe. Because oftentimes what you will find out when you ask these questions to them, you're going to find out more about that person and how they think. Plus, when you find out what they think, what this will eventually do is help you when you get to the gospel to them. Because you will know where they are coming from and you can steer the discussion towards what they need to hear. So once the conversation is heading in the right direction, there's a specific, what I call a diagnostic question that I will always ask. And the question is this. If you were to die today and you stood before God and, and you asked him, why should, and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? How would you answer him? How they would how they respond to this question will tell you a lot about what that person truly believes. And what I typically find for those who don't know or don't believe in the gospel is that they try to justify themselves in some way, justify themselves through their good works. Now, now I don't judge them by their answers or tell them right then that they're flat out wrong. Instead, what I try to do is I try to transition into the gospel by, by asking this next question. Would you be interested in hearing what the Bible has to say about life after death and how you can be saved? Just a simple question, yes or no. If they, if they answer no, then I'll ask them, well, you know, why, why are you not interested? Um, and if they're insistent that they don't want to hear it, then, then I'll just say this. Well, if you ever change your mind, just let me know. And then that's that. But if they say yes, well, then you have your open door, right? And now it's time to share the gospel. But how do you do that? So what I'm about to go through with you is what's called the bridge diagram. It's just one approach of many that are out there on how to share the gospel. And personally, it's, it's my favorite approach because it's, one, it's clear, it's, it's logical, and it's visual. And so when I share this with someone, I can feel confident that, that they will walk away knowing what they need to know about the saving work of Jesus Christ. And plus, once really, once you've learned a few key points, it's easy to do. All you need is a, is a pen and a piece of paper. Now, now to begin, there, there are really only five main points that you have to remember. God, man, Christ, response, and promises. God, man, Christ, response, and promises. 
So one for each finger on your right hand. Easy, right? Well, let's try it. Try it with me. All right? God, man, Christ, response, and promises. Oh, you guys are experts already. All right. So what I do then is I get, I get a blank sheet of paper and a pen, and I begin to draw out this diagram for them. And again, what I, like I said before, what's great about this is that it's visual. And so it lets the person see both the, the problem that mankind has and the solution that, that comes with Jesus Christ. Plus, they can take it home with them when you're done. And so they, they can pull it out later and remember the conversation that they had with you. So let's, let's begin. Let's begin with God. I, I typically start off the discussion by asking them to describe God for me. You know, what are some of the characteristics that you think of when you think of God? Um, and, I, and I let them go on and share what they think about God. And when they're done, then I tell them, what, you know, I, I tell them what the Bible says about God. What are the characteristics that the Bible claims about God? And the first and most important characteristic of God is that he is holy. In fact, often in the Bible you will find this word holy being repeated three times when describing God because it is that significant. For example, Revelation 4 verse 8 says this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now what does it mean to be holy? Well, to be holy means to be set apart, right? To be distinguished from, from everything else. For, for example, and I know you guys have heard this because I've used it in the sermon before, but when I was growing up, my mom had two sets of dishes, right? How many here had two sets of dishes growing up? There's a few of you out there. So we had our everyday dishes, right? And then there were the good dishes that would be stored away in the china cabinet, not to come out until the holidays or if we had special guests coming over for dinner. And so these were dishes that were holy dishes, right? They were set apart. In the same way, God is set apart from us. And, and there's two ways, really. First, one, he is the creator, creator of all that exists. That means not a single atom in this universe came into being without him creating it. And because he created everything, he has authority over everything as well. In other words, he is the king. He is the Lord. The other way that God is holy is, is that he is set apart in his goodness. He is righteous. He, he has a perfect morality. In fact, he, he defines what good is. He is the standard. And what is that standard? Perfect love, which brings us to the next characteristic that I'll, I'll talk about when talking about God. God is loving. In fact, 1 John 4, verse 8 states that God is love. And the type of love that the Bible talks about is a selfless love. It is putting others ahead of yourself. And it is this selfless love that, it, 
that, that God has for his creation. He, he puts the well-being of his creatures ahead of himself. Now, many people think that because God is loving, that he will just forgive them of everything they've done wrong. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. But biblically, that's, that's not the case. Uh, Numbers 14, verse 18 says this. The, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Sounds good so far, right? But... He will by no means clear the guilty. And this leads us to our third major characteristic that the Bible uses to describe God. That God is just. His justice is perfect. In other words, he rewards all good and he punishes all evil. In fact, there is not one sin, not one bad deed that God will overlook. He will bring punishment for every evil act, whether big or small. And so we see these characteristics of God. One, that he is holy. Two, that he is loving. And three, that he is just. But what about man, right? Our second finger, man. How, how would you describe man? Is man basically good or is man basically evil? And so I ask these questions in order to gain an, an understanding of how the person that I'm sharing this gospel to, how they view society, how they view the world around them, and in particular, how they view themselves and their own sin. And once they give me their answers, I then bring them back to the Bible, showing them three characteristics that describe man. First, that man is a created being, right? Right? We are a part of God's creation. And because we are part of God's creation, we are under his authority. And so we are created. Where God is a creator, we are the creation. Genesis 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And yet, even though we are created in his image... We have fallen short of God's standard. In fact, we have turned our backs upon God and have become like rebellious children, not wanting to listen to or to follow the very one who created us. In other words, man is sinful. And it is at this point that I, that I want to make it very, very personal. And so I ask them, would you consider yourself to be a sinner? Have you ever sinned? And if they, if they think of themselves as a good person, I then typically I will take them to the Ten Commandments and demonstrate to them that in some way they have broken God's law and have fallen short of his standards. And because they have done this, because of their sin, and because God is a just God, they find themselves under the penalty of sin and stand condemned, which is our third characteristic, that, that, that we are under the wrath of God and are destined for hell. In fact, we are, we are so steeped in sin that we are helpless, not able to do anything about it. 
we have been found guilty. And God, being a holy and just God, must punish us for all that we have done. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 and 9 said this, In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Essentially, because of their sin, they have been barred from God's goodness, and and there's nothing that they can do about it. There is this great chasm between God and man. They are helpless and in need of a Savior. And it is at this point where I transition into the good news of Jesus Christ, our third finger, right? And so, and so I asked him, what do you know or believe about Jesus? About who he is or what he has done? Who is this Jesus? Do you know anything about him? In today's world, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you'd probably get some pretty consistent answers. I think in today's world, the answers might be all over the place. But after they give me their answers, I I will then share with them what the Bible teaches us about Jesus. And and there's, again, three things that I want to stress. First, that, that, that Jesus is God in human flesh, right? God became a man in order to rescue his people. How did he rescue us? By doing what we could not, right? Jesus lived a sinless life, and that's the second point, that he is sinless. He was obedient to all of, all of God's commands. In fact, 2 Peter 2, verse 22 says this, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And so what we see in the life of Jesus is that he lived the life that we should have lived. He was righteous in every way. But he did more than just that, didn't he? For then he took upon himself the punishment that we deserve, fulfilling God's justice. He he died on the cross for our sins. You see, it should have been you, and, and it should have been me who was nailed to that tree. But Jesus loved us so much that he bore the judgment, the judgment that was reserved for us. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. And so Jesus died for us. He bore the punishment that we deserve. But he didn't just die for us, did he? The, the, The very next verse in that same passage says this, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so Jesus, he was in the ground for three days, but then he rose from the dead, demonstrating his power over all things, including death. And so who is this Jesus? One, he is God in human flesh. 
too. He, he lived a sinless life, the life that we should have lived but did not. Three, he died on the cross for us and then he rose from the dead for us as well. And he brings salvation to all who turn to him with repentant faith. Which leads us into the response, right? Finger number four. What, what does God require of us in order to receive the salvation? And really, the, the, there are only two things that the Bible stresses. Two things that need to occur. And the first is, is that a person must have faith. And, and so I'll ask them, do you understand what I mean by the word faith? Faith is just another way of saying trust. For, for instance, when I go to sit down in a chair, I, I trust that that chair is going to support my weight, right? Well, God asks the same thing of us, that we would trust in Jesus, both in who he is and what he has done for us. That he is God in human flesh. That he did live that sinless life for us. That he died for us and that he rose from the dead. Are we trusting in this Jesus to rescue us from our condemned state? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 state this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so salvation, particularly if you're talking to someone who thinks that their good deeds will please God? This verse is key because it, it teaches us that salvation doesn't come through our good deeds, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. But along with faith comes the word repentance, right? And so I'm going to ask the same question, right? Do you understand what I mean when I say repentance? And most people today will not know what that means. Um, so we need to know what that means. What does repentant mean? mean? It simply means to change one's mind. If you, if you look into the, the Greek word, uh, that's what it means, to change one's mind. It's doing a 180, if you will. It's as if you're, you're, you're walking one direction in life, and you're, you, you have your back towards God, and suddenly you just turn around, and you start following God. That's Repentance. It's turning away from your sin, turning away from your unbelief, and turning towards God. And it's also it's, it's a posture that we take of wanting freedom from our sins, right? Of desiring to follow God's way and not the ways of this world. Romans 6 verse 11 says this, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's repentance. Basically, if you are repentant, you are telling God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Please set me free from my sins and help me to follow you. So the response that God, look, God looks for to the good news of Jesus Christ is repentant faith. Now, the, the last point that, that we're going to want to explain to them are the promises that God has for those who believe. 
And here I don't have three things, I have four things. Um, there's four things that I stress, four things that God gives to those who have this repentant faith. And the first is forgiveness of sins, right? Ephesians 1 verse 7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And so I'll ask the person, do you want forgiveness from God? Why or why not? It's good to ask these questions to people. There's some people they may not want that. I don't know why, but there's some people out there that may not want that. Second, second promise that I'll point out to them is that they will receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by this is that, is that when Jesus died on the cross, there was like this divine transaction where, where, where he took upon himself all of our sins, and in return, he gave to us his righteousness. In, in other words, God no longer sees you as the sinner that you are, but he sees you as he sees his son, perfect in all ways. We, we get this from the book of Romans, Romans 3, verses 21 and 22. But now the, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And so again, I'll, I'll ask him the question. Do you want to be seen as righteous before God? Why or why not? Which leads to the third promise. That the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, will dwell within us. In fact, he is the very one that gives people faith that, that they need to believe in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does that for us. And, and the Holy Spirit also strengthens us in order that we might repent, in order that we can turn away from our sins and our unbelief and start following God. That's all the Holy Spirit's doing. And so... Romans 8 verse 9 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so the Holy Spirit is, is God's gift to us, that he will dwell within us, giving us the faith that we need, helping us to turn away from our sins and follow him. And again, I'll ask them, do you want to see the Holy Spirit work in your life? Why or why not? And then finally, God promises to give us eternal life. All right? Romans 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, am I right? Amen. And so, through Jesus, we have eternal life. That means even though, we're, even though we will one day die, Christ will raise us from the dead. And we will be with him forever. That's a promise right from God's word. And so I'll ask them, do you want to have eternal life? 
why or why not. And then once I'm, I'm all done going through God, man, Christ's response and promises, I, I will then try to gauge their understanding of what I've just communicated to them. And, and so I'll, I'll ask them, according to what I have just shared with you, what is required of a man to gain eternal life? And if they tell me repentant faith in Jesus Christ, then I know that they understood. But if they tell me something else, then, then it's my job to figure out where they got off track and try to explain it once again to them. But just because they understand, if they get it, that doesn't necessarily mean that they believe it, right? And so I'll have some final questions for them. One, do you believe this message? If the answer is no, then, then I'll ask them this. What don't you believe about this message? I'll also ask them, what, what is holding you back from believing this message? Sometimes there's personal things in our lives that, that hold us back from doing that. And so how they answer those questions, that, that will help you engaging what the next steps should be as you continue to reach out to this person. And finally, I'll ask two more questions. Uh, one, would you like to talk about this some more in the future? And so I want to leave that door open. And two, would you be interested in coming to church with me sometime, right? I mean, you just shared the gospel with them. Why not invite them to church? You see, oftentimes sharing the gospel with someone, it's a, it's a long process. It's a long journey. And it'll, it will take a person many times of hearing this message before the Holy Spirit grabs hold of that person's soul. And, and so we should always leave the door open, right? For more conversation, more discussion. And we should be continuously praying for them as well, right? Because this is, even though we are proclaiming this message, if the Holy Spirit is not working, nothing's going to happen. And so we need to be praying for these people. But lastly, evangelism, what is it all about? It's about loving people, isn't it? It's about not wanting to see the people that you love go to hell. And again, that's why I say this is vitally, vitally important for us to learn how to share this message clearly. Because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Am I right? Now, I don't expect you guys to know this all by heart after one sitting, right? Nobody does that, unless you have an eidetic memory, right? And so my challenge for you is to go home and practice this with each other. Practice with your family. Practice with your friends. In fact, one of the things that we're going to be emphasizing in our small groups is how to share this message. And so if you're not a part of a small group yet, come and see me or see one of the elders, and we'll make sure that you get connected. Um, but now, I, I have one more handout for you guys. And so, I don't know if Jerry and Bobby want to come forward again. We're going to pass these out. I didn't hand this out at first because I wanted to make sure you guys were taking notes. But here's the diagram again with everything written on it and the verses. Um, but I wanted to make sure you guys were paying attention. And that's why I did it this way. 
Uh, but you guys can have that uh, to take home with you and look over. Um, but before we finish up, does anybody have any questions? I know we don't normally do this during our service, but I'm opening it up this Sunday, so here's your chance. Any questions on what we just went over? Yeah. How do you do this with a person that is living hell on earth? How do you help them see that truth? Yeah, and that's so that's a good question. How do you do this with someone who's in the midst of pure, pure sin, right? Um, and just maybe they're not responsive. And one thing, if, if they're not responsive to you, they probably won't listen, right? Um, and so those were the beginning questions that I asked. Are you, are you willing to listen to what I have to share with you? If they're not willing to listen, they're not going to listen. And so I, I usually don't go about it. Um, but if they give you that window, um, the, the only thing I can say is the verse in Romans is true. It is the power of God. And so even though you are communicating, you could be fumbling through passages and fumbling through your words, God could still be reaching into the heart and working through our fumbling words, our, our fumbling sentences. Um, and so the gospel is the power of God, and we need to believe that. That's a good question. Any? Yeah. Yeah, and repentance to confess your sins, I mean, that's confession. Re repentance is a change of mind. If you, if you look at the Greek word, um, it's, uh, I'm trying to remember that, it's metamora. It's like, it's, it's a changing of mind or changing of heart. And so it's, it's not just simply confession. Um, it is, it's kind of a, Attitude change, if that makes sense. Um, and so it's, I think the analogy that I gave of, of a person walking away to God, walking away from God, turning around and starting walking towards God, um, that's, that's what repentance is. Um, it's, it's God, and honestly, it's not a work that we do ourselves. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Um, because what, what God does is the Holy Spirit dwells within us he, he changes our desires, right? How many of you have different desires since you came to Christ? I mean, I do. Um, that's what God does. It's a good question, though. Any other questions? How much does it matter how well you know the person? How much does it matter how well you know the person? It doesn't matter at all, honestly. If they're willing to hear the message, share it with them. Um, obviously, if you know the person well, that gives you an advantage, right? Because you can steer the conversation directly to, to what you feel their needs are. Um, but it can be the average Joe on the street that you come across. Somehow you strike up a conversation and you feel led, hey, do you mind if I ask you something personal? And there you go, right? Um, what do you think about God? Suddenly you're sharing the gospel with a random stranger. I mean, God can use things like that. I mean, what did Paul do when he went into cities? 
He didn't know anybody there. He went and preached the gospel. Anyone else? Going once, going twice. All right, let's, uh, let's pray then. Father, we are so thankful for this day and thankful for all that you have done to us and thankful that this message got shared to us at one time or another. And so we ask that you would help us, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us to understand that it is your power when we communicate it. So we ask that you would help us to become experts, experts in sharing this good news. Lord, may your Holy Spirit guide us to the lost of this world, those who don't know you, those who have have turned their backs from you so that we can share with them the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to go before us to prepare those hearts that they may believe, that they may have that repentant faith that they need. Lord, evangelism is a work while we are involved in it is a work that you do. And so we pray that you would guide our steps, that you would be the one who leads us in this manner. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.